0: You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading.
1: This morning's scripture reading is from Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. For there are many who are insubordinate, Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciousness are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good.
0: Well, thank you so much, James. Let's pray and ask for God's guidance as we reflect on this passage. O Lord, as we come before you, may the words of my mouth, and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I wonder if you might imagine a scenario with me, a previously unknown airborne virus begins to rapidly spread throughout the world. This virus puts many people in hospital it's taking many lives and the virus does not seem to be able to be contained. The world has to come together to commit to ending the spread. Imagine if you can and imagine our prime minister, Justin Trudeau having his first press conference And after realizing he had forgotten his coat and running inside and asking Sophia where his coat is, finding his coat, coming back to the microphones, he decides this, he says this, Canadian public, this is a complicated matter. No one is sure about the disease. No one is certain about how to prevent it. There's a lot of experimental treatments. And since these debates are becoming so complicated and so divisive and confusing, because we are the Canadian people we want to focus on being polite and multicultural. And so since the practice of medicine is complicated and doctors all over the world are all over the map, Justin Trudeau announces that his administration has decided that they will take no action. And actually they will uh, pass a law prohibiting any one individual from making, taking any particular action, authoritarian action over one other person as it relates to stopping this pandemic. This is the polite approach. This is the multicultural approach and imagine Trudeau in true fashion, fixing his hair and then saying that he's confident the Canadian people will be able to get through this pandemic because of the incredible advances that have been made and are now being documented on Facebook and Twitter. What do you think would happen? Well, you know what would happen. We've seen glimpses of what would happen. People would be losing their mind over Twitter and Facebook. Opinions would be raging, uh, everything from absolutely absurd opinions to dangerous opinions. People would be hungry to find an authority who would give them help in this time of great need, in this time of great crisis. You'd find yourself in lineups at the bathroom because some people have heard we needed to wash our hands for 10 minutes. Others are resisting washing hands altogether. You'd see people walking around in hazmat suits with no authority, with no true story coming out. All kinds of false teaching would spread. We just started a sermon series in the book of Titus a couple of weeks ago, and the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to his protege, a man named Titus who Paul had probably led to the Lord and now had become a fellow minister with Paul and spreading the good news of Jesus. And Paul's given Titus a tough assignment. He sent him to the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. Christianity had probably been there for over 30 years, probably from a Jewish strand who had converted to Christianity at the day of Pentecost. But the island was in a state of utter disorder. And Paul's assignment to Titus is to put this disordered church into order. And the first call he's given to him is to appoint elders in every town. Last, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the character and responsibilities of these elders. And in verses 10 through 16, what we're looking at this morning is why the appointment of elders was so absolutely urgent. Paul unveils the nature of the chaos. This passage answers the question, what if we don't have elders? And in the same way, not having a unified authority in the midst of a pandemic would lead to utter chaos. It would lead to people being deceived. And innocent people dying or people being misled and making bad medical decisions, which would result in their death. So also in this passage, Paul is saying, here's what's going to happen if you do not have elders, if you do not have appointed and public authorities over the church congregation, no elders and false teachings going to flourish and false practices are going to flourish. This is what Paul is arguing in this passage, that if the, any church lacks elders, obviously he's writing to the Titus and this church in Crete, but he's writing to you and to me saying, if we lack elders, you better believe false teaching will flourish, and you better believe false practices are going to be seen everywhere. So first, false teaching is going to flourish. We see this in verse 10 where Paul has just given us the instruction of what elders are to look like and what they are to do, especially that they're to be grounded in sound doctrine, faithful to the word as taught. And then our passage in verse 10 starts with four, for this reason, because there are many, many insubordinate. The elder's family, in verse 6, we're told is not to be insubordinate, but Paul is saying there are many false teachers who are insubordinate. They're not willing to submit to anyone's authority themselves. He goes on, they're empty talkers. They talk and talk and talk and say nothing. And they're deceivers. They're slimy salespeople who say anything to make the sale. Ultimately, they're greedy for gain, just like a slimy salesperson. Most tragic of all, though, is not that false teachers exist. We can understand that false teachers would exist. Everyone uh, can be seduced by some kind of false teaching and and sort of want to be a, a person spreading the false teaching. But what's most tragic is that the false teachers have been gaining an audience. With no elders, false teachers and false teaching will flourish. You see, if there was no demand, the supply would decrease. False teachers would go away. But what's most tragic is false teachers get followings and false teaching begins to flourish. Verse 11 tells us it's even upset whole households. Now that could be a reference to the family unit, and it seems as though Paul will reference the household in verses to come. It could also be referenced, whole households could be references to a whole church, as we would call it, a whole assembly of people who are gathering in a household. Regardless, these false teachers are turning people away from the truth. Their false teaching is flourishing because there's not proper leadership structure established in the island of Crete. And this is why Paul says, You need to appoint elders because these people have to be silenced. They need to be rebuked. This is exactly what he said the duties of the elders were in verse 9. They are to hold firmly to the word as taught so that they can instruct and encourage and also rebuke. And now Paul is saying they've got a fair share of people needing that rebuke. You see, don't kid yourself. This passage is offering to you and to me a great warning that we are vulnerable people we are all prone to buying into some type of false teaching. This passage is giving us a sort of Christian anthropology, that we were created good, but we participated in a grand rebellion, which has resulted in chaos. And as a fruit of the chaos of our rebellion, we are now very vulnerable to being deceived. Some of us more than others, but all of us are vulnerable to being deceived, being misled, especially in certain areas of our life. And this is what Paul is concerned about. We all know others are vulnerable to being misled, but Paul wants to remind us we are all vulnerable, and this is why we need a plurality of elders watching over an area, holding firmly to the word as has been taught. Listen, government has been asking all kinds of tough questions in our society as it relates to deception. Our governments have come to very strong conclusions that we are vulnerable to being misled, especially as it relates to search engine algorithms and the use of uh, social media. Fake news is uh, proliferating all over our society. And government is asking important questions and trying to legally address issues where necessary. But let me remind you that people will find false teaching no matter what you do because we are bent towards it. We have a propensity towards it. Listen, I need COVID to go away and I need these restrictions to go away because this propensity towards false teaching is alive and well in my heart as well. I was happy to get the vaccine. In fact, I rushed to get it as fast as I could. But then when there was a vaccine mandate, this rebellious side of me started springing up saying, you can't tell me what to do. Don't talk to me that way about my body. And now it's this rebellious side is coming out in the strange of times. I walk in a building and the person tells me I need to have hand sanitizer. And part of me wants to say, no, I don't. I don't need hand sanitizer. What are you talking about? For all you know, I could have just used it before I walked in the door. Why would I need hand sanitizer now? This rebellious side of me is coming out of me. And I frankly need to wash my hands. It's been like a year and a half now. I'm only kidding. I'm washing my hands. I'm diligently washing my hands. I'm using hand sanitizer. This is my point. We're bent towards deception. We're bent towards being rebellious to the mainstream narrative. We're bent towards being antagonistic to people who have good points. In Paul's case, there's a group known as the Circumcision Party. They are very proud of their Jewish heritage, and they're wrestling through how their obedience to Judaism collides with their loyalty to the resurrected Jesus. And it seems as though it's not just their Jewishness that is causing trouble within the church. It also is that they have been influenced by the Cretan culture. Paul actually cites a philosopher, Epimenides, who says the Cretan people are liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This, this culture of Crete has influenced these individuals alongside of the fact that they predominantly seem to have Jewish heritage, and the false teachers have stepped in and provided the teaching that they the people wanted. The markets were there, they pr- provided the supply. The first response question we must wrestle through as we hear a passage like this reflected on and preached is, what false teaching do you crave? Where do you need accountability as it relates to your confirmation bias, your desire to hear false teaching tickle your ears? Are you self-aware enough to know, first, that you have a propensity towards these things, and second, that you need accountability around you? Where are you prone to minimize or even dismiss the sufficiency of the scriptures as taught and passed on to you for your life? Where do you find yourself being dismissive? towards authorities in your life, especially authorities like the local church. You see, in our culture, we're not Cretans, maybe. We wouldn't be identified as liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. We might accuse others, other countries of being that way, but not, not Canadians. We are polite, multicultural kind. And in our case, some of those cultural values of niceness, those progressive agendas have crept in and been baptized into the church, and they lead the agenda of the church. Unless you think that that's the only influence on the church, there has been a nasty conservative backlash as a response to this culture of niceness invading the church. Are you aware of your propensity to hear, your desire, your heart's longing to hear false teaching that leads you in a certain direction? Do you have accountability in your life? Have you talked to others about it? This is why we need elders. False teaching will flourish because people crave false teaching, they want false teaching. And without elders, the people will get what they want. And when they get what they want, they will crave more and more and more. And the demand will flourish and will only open the door for more supply. This is why we need elders oversight. But Paul doesn't just say it's false teaching that will flourish. It's interesting. Paul's very concerned that false practices will flourish. You know, we might joke about as misinformation was being spread about COVID, people were walking around in these hazmat suits and doing all kinds of absurd uh, routines, eating certain vegetables to try to strengthen their immune system. Uh, this, this had consequences, but they were relatively funny, not serious. But Paul is saying there's serious behavioral consequences that come because of false teachers. Look at verse 16. This is a refrain you're going to hear Paul pick up again in the book, this need for uh, obedience. Paul says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good works. Paul's going to use this phrase good works seven times in this small letter in Titus. This is going to be an important part of what he wants the church to know. Now, this conclusion of Paul might seem to be a bit of a curveball as he goes after uh, this party that's against uh, Titus. They're called the circumcision party, and if you know anything about the circumcision party. It's not that kind of party, it's a it's a different party. Uh, a party in which uh, the people were very, very, very devoted to Jewish laws. A party in which people cared a lot about uh, eating kosher. Following as well, we're reading about various myths and interpretations of how things are to be done. These were rigid, rigid people, very religious by our standards, very devout, probably prayed five times a day and never missed a time of prayer. Paul's concern though, is that the root of their obedience comes from a polluted heart, and this obedience then becomes toxic to the world around them. This is why these are false practices that are flourishing. Paul's concern is that their practices have no power to bring about a changed life. The false teachers set parameters in life by which we can find our confidence in God, and each one of those parameters seem to sidestep our dependence and trust in Jesus Christ. They say, oh, yes, Jesus was the Messiah. You you know, he's the front door. You've got to come in to the body of Christ through him. He does provide you this great forgiveness. But to know that you're safe, to know you're in good standing, well, you need to practice a proper diet, separate from those who are not circumcised, make sure you practice ceremonial washings, make sure that you follow as much as possible the kosher laws. And when you do these things, you can have confidence that God loves you and you're part of his family. But Paul is saying when they do that, what they actually do is sidestep their dependence upon Jesus Christ and also ignore very, very glaring problems in their life. They're scamming old people as they're greedy for unjust gain. But as soon as they scam an old person, they come back to following their kosher laws and feel safe, feel that they must be in a good relationship with God. There's a whole series of TikTok videos, thousands as far as I can tell, of people making fun of people like this who have certain religious practices that they feel cover a multitude of their shortcomings. The image will be of someone worshiping, eyes closed, hands up, or hands folded. And, and the background music will be, our God is an awesome God. And then there will be a caption that says, parents, only 30 minutes at after screaming at their kids to get their butts in the car. <laughs> you know, if you're a parent who has to load up kids to go to church, you know something of what this hypocrisy is calling out. There's other ones that would say uh, your mom in church worrying about everyone else's sins other than her own. Ouch. Uh, There's others where the song's going on and the passionate uh, worshippers hands folded or arms raised uh, singing God is an awesome God. And it said, baseball moms one day after yelling at the umpire to die because he called out their child on a third strike. Some of you won't get that, some of you will. It's funny if you think about it. But what's the point? These TikTok users are all pointing out this, that there are false practices that flourish under false teaching. And if the false teaching, and I'm not saying that this TikTok is is promoting a, a common false teaching, but if the false teaching is, we can come on Sunday and worship God, and as long as we lift our hands and have an emotional experience, it doesn't matter what happened Monday through Saturday. Well, to that, the Lord will say, I don't want anything to do with your worship. You see, some false teachers promote a type of, of freedom, saying, do whatever you want, you're all forgiven in Christ. But more often than not, false teachers promote some kind of work, some kind of restrain, such as go to church, make sure you're worshiping passionately. That's really all that matters as it relates to your standing before God. And they emphasize certain good things in the Christian life and denigrate other things. And what Paul is concerned about is that these self proclaimed laws become the fuel for their Christian life, and it's a fuel that burns hot and makes one into a hypocrite. It has no ability to uh, make someone into a transformed person. Paul is concerned that false practices will thrive. These people are still Cretan to the core, liars, evil beasts, and gluttons. Worldliness has influenced them even if they look very, very religious. This is what the TikTok users are so upset about. They think that doing one part of the Christian life is more important and overshadows all the other parts of the Christian life, which they feel free to maybe not ignore, but not emphasize. They are impure. And so, therefore, everything they do becomes impure. This is what Paul's saying at this particular passage. Because they are impure, because something's wrong deep inside of them, and they haven't had, you know, God's Spirit transform their heart, the things they find themselves caught up in doing become polluted with impurity as well. These are the type of practices that Paul is concerned about. Maybe... I'll try to give some examples here to make sense of what Paul's saying. He's talking about a type of religious hypocrisy, but the hypocrisy goes something like this. Video games seem to make a lot of people lazy. Therefore, it is sinful and unchristian to participate in video games. Well, there's some debate about this. I I wouldn't agree that it's sinful, but I understand the point. It might be dangerous for people to play video games. They are addictive. I've experienced that. But what ends up happening is that individuals who don't play video games, but use their Friday evenings to gossip with friends via, through text messages, somehow feel superior and holy to that, uh, that worldly Christian that they look out their window and see who's playing video games when, when we all know that this leads to laziness. Maybe I'll give you another example. There's some people who would say, we ought not watch romantic comedies. I'm one of them. I don't find them very fun to watch, and I roll my eyes most of the time. There's other people who go farther, though, and will say, maybe it's a sin to watch rom-coms. Maybe they produce discontented hearts. And what ends up happening, then, is the individual says, it is it is wrong to watch rom-coms. They pass judgment on everyone watching romantic comedies. I do as well. But they, they pass judgment on them assuming that they're sinners, that God couldn't be pleased with them. And... Then, as they watch garbage on television, they assume it's not a big deal because it's not a romantic comedy. Obviously, I'm being hyperbolic, but I hope that you get my point. False practices begin to flourish as a result of false teaching. And Paul is saying, you do not understand this good news of Jesus of Nazareth if you are promoting false teaching. From the beginning of to the end of the Bible, all of God's interactions with humanity have been about redeeming and restoring his good creation. He gave this creation to us to be stewards of, and we failed tragically in a rebellion, and the fruit of that failure is a world filled with chaos, traje- our hearts being in a trajectory towards loving false teaching, our bodies being at war with one another, our attempts to gain status and glory from the creation, as opposed to using the creation to give glory to the God who gave it to us as a gift. As a consequence, our whole world and our inner person is in a state of utter chaos and decay. And the good news of Jesus that Paul is going all around the Mediterranean preaching is that God sent his son into this creation. He took on a human body just like us, rejected all false teachings, obeyed the truth at all junctures, and through his good works, through him being loyal to to his father at all junctures, to him giving his life on a cross, what ends up happening is this thin veil, is this this uh, this sort of world to come, a hole is poked in it, and the same way a small hole in a milk bag will eventually leak out that bag into the refrigerator, so also Jesus in his death. And in his resurrection has poked a hole in the this world that is to come, where all the world is in harmony again with God, their creator, and with one another. This new creation starts to pour into our world. And for Paul, it starts with a transformation of our inner person, of, of our of our, our guts, of our heart, maybe we could say. The rotten decay inside of us is, is addressed first, and we're renewed. And that renewal makes us agents of that world that is to come. We've tasted of that power of the world that is to come. And now our good works supremely matter because they're good works rooted in the fact that Jesus died for us. He set free the power of new creation into our hearts. And now our good works flow out of our hearts into this entire world, into the whole world is transformed with the new creation greatness that God longs for as he looks from heaven and looks over his creation. This is the good news Paul has been preaching, that God in Jesus Christ yes provided forgiveness, and that's not that, that alone is worthy of an eternity of worship. But he also provided new life, not just for us, but for all of creation. The pain and the groaning that all of creation are under have received a death sentence. The new creation is slowly bleeding into the old. People are being transformed by the gospel. And as that happens, that new world pokes its head into our world. As people are loyal to Jesus, King Jesus of Nazareth, they begin to use their goods to show their loyalty to him for the good of their neighbor. The hope is provided for the hopeless. Peace is given to the anxious. Joy is passed on to those who are sad. Why do we need elders? We need elders because we cannot have false teaching flourishing. Because when false teaching flourishes, false practices flourish. And when false practices flourish, this power of the new creation, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, is not experienced fully in our world as it ought to be. Elders are given that the good news of Jesus Christ, of his forgiveness and of the new life, might be tasted more completely in our world, even now, as we seek to follow God during these confusing times. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca